right, welcome back everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Uh, thank you once again for all your support and I'm so excited once again, um, uh, like I always am, I have an amazing guest on today. His name's Malachi Matangi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to hear his amazing story and what he's been through and how he's turned his life around. It's uh, pretty fascinating. I do need to give a shout out to our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me. And thank all of you for believing in me and listening and sharing this with people. The feedback's been overwhelming. And, uh, you know, this has helped a lot of people. And the stories that have been shared on here have just inspired thousands and thousands of people. But it's also inspired me every time to be a good person and to be better. But uh, Malachi, thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you. Little background on Malachi. He's a father of nine. He's got nine kids, which is pretty amazing. Um, he's an ex-convict and ex-drug addict, and I can't wait to hear that story. He's been clean now for three and a half years, and he says he's on the best spiritual journey of his life right now. And we'll get into that as well. Um, but he's he's done some amazing things. He's I mean, he's got a great aura about him. Very soft-spoken, good spirit about him. And so I, I'm excited to have you on to share. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you're from, and a little bit about your family. So I grew up in Magna, Utah. Okay. Um, my family, I only have three three siblings, two brothers and one sister. Um, I've got very cool parents um, that I'm now close with. I've never been close to my parents before, but... Um, so growing up, you weren't close to them? No, not, not too close with my parents. Uh, in the islands, they have like a traditional way of uh, raising kids. Talk and, about that for a minute. And where's your parents from? Um, my parents are from the islands of Tonga. Um, so my father, so the tradition is basically the, the men, they kind of hide their feelings. They okay. hide their feelings away from, okay. from their kids or it's, it's kind of hard for them to express their love. And, and nowadays, um, my father he hasn't showed me any type of love until maybe I was older. Um, right. I've never seen love from a father before, you know, but okay. the teachings we thought, you know, growing up, that's the love. And he would always say, I'm teaching you this lesson because I love you. Oh, gotcha. Not, you know, but yeah. to actually feel the love, it probably wasn't there. Okay. Uh, so up, yeah, so. like less expressive where, you know, hugs and yes, telling you in your ear, I love you and that kind of right. stuff wasn't as common. Right. Okay. So that wasn't common growing up and it would probably feel awkward now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, did that, did that bother you as a kid feeling that uh, a little separation there? No, it didn't really bother me at all. You know, um, but looking back at it, I now being older, I wish I could, probably could have felt that from my father a little right. bit more. Okay. Um, but I think that's just the way they try to raise their kids to become a man. You know, a yeah, well, they were doing the best with what they knew. Right. Right? And right. that's what all of us parents do. We're just like, you're a parent now of nine. Right. We're just doing our best, right? At the end of the day, I mean, I'm sure we're making mistakes every day. But, yeah, right. But we're trying to just do the best with what we know. Yes, sir. Um, so... When you were growing up, did you have a rough childhood in the sense that were you kind of a rough kid? Were you out doing some things you shouldn't be doing? Yeah. That kind of stuff? Um, yeah. I, so my parents taught me well, and um, they always taught me the right things to do. And uh, But I chose not to do it. 
it wasn't that their teaching was awesome their teaching was telling me the right and wrong but growing up i was uh i was always influenced by my friends and others mm -hmm. i've always wanted to fit in in a crowd whether it's the crowd of my family or the crowd of my friends at school okay so um growing up was a little bit difficult because uh, my parents say don't smoke but my friends say smoke and then i end up oh. You know, I'm just trying to fit in because... Fit in, so you start smoking with so your I friends. Just, yeah, yeah, I would rather listen to my friends than listen to the teachings of my parents. So. How young were you when you, I guess, started smoking with your friends? Um, I started smoking at the age of 11. Okay. And uh, it kind of sucks to say because I know when I speak about that, people might think, oh, what a bad parents that he had. But honestly, my parents was awesome. I was just a bad child. Yeah. You know, I made Well, bad and I decisions. think most people would understand that. That I mean, I'm sure your parents aren't at age 11. Go ahead and smoke. Right. You just were being defiant. Yes, and, sir. Yeah. <laughs> was it just cigarettes or was it pot or what um, was it at that time? It started at pot at that time. Okay, at so. 11. Yes, sir. So talk, talk us through there. You start doing that at 11 and just, you know, talk us through where that led to. Um, so I started doing pot at 11. And like I said, just trying to fit in, trying to belong to something, to somewhere. Because mm -hmm. at that time, I'm just, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be the cool kid, you know. And yeah. uh, so I started to uh, smoke pot. And anything that bad came along, people thought it was cool. So I ended up doing that. So like pot and then drinking a little bit of alcohol here. So that, I think that was the core of my addiction was uh me not being true to myself right me trying to fit into or create this image of myself so people could like me right and um by me doing that my addiction just went even deeper getting older and having kids you know and yeah it just got even worse from there so, so. talk us through so you start at age 11 you know, and obviously it progresses. And you and now talk us like when you're in high school, and I think most kids can relate with this that we we all want to fit in, right? And unfortunately, sometimes we'll do anything to fit in, right? Yes, sir. And that's what you were just saying. So, talk about high school. Did you were you active at all in like maybe sports or anything like that growing up? Uh, doing that, did that help you connect at all? Or yeah, so I was active before I hit high school. I was active in sports. Uh, football at in Magna at Cyprus. Okay. So I was playing football there with my family, which was a good thing. And I was still doing bad here and there, but yeah. it wasn't as bad. I had good influences. You know, whatever the crowd is doing, I'm gonna move with it. So right. if my family's doing good, I'm gonna do good for a period of time. Um, but growing up, when I went to high school, that only lasted for a year, and I. I ended up uh, uh, dropping out. I had a kid at the oh. age of 15. I was 15 years old when I had a kid. So okay. I ended up dropping out. Um, but I sloughed uh, all my ninth year, my freshman year. So just because I was just trying to fit in with the crowd I was going with. Right. And um, so. So you dropped out at age 15? Yes. Yeah, Is that sophomore year or freshman uh, year? I think sophomore year. Sophomore. Okay. Yes, so you, you end up having a child at age 15 had a child at age 15 and I started working um how did your parents handle that at the time when I mean here you I mean you're still just this pup your right. little kid right <laughs> how did they handle the news of that and and you know did they support you dropping out did they expect you at that point you should start working or 
Well, at that point, um, my parents say, um, if you want to do grown-up things, you need to do grown-up things. Uh, you got a child on the way, you need to start working, you know? So that's one of those lessons, you one of those lessons. Yes, sir. Yeah. So basically, um, I had to start working and, uh, so I ended up finding a job, a construction job, and I worked, and I was trying to support the best I could. But yeah, you know. So did you end? Is that did you end up keeping the child? Meaning, because a lot of times kids that young that have a, a kid, because mm -hmm. you're still a kid, right. end up usually giving it up for adoption or whatever. But you, you, you kept the kid. I'm, yes, though okay. the mother kept the kid. They took the kid away from me. So uh -huh. um, because at that age I was 15 and. The mother was quite older than me. She was uh, already out of high school. Okay. So their family was kind of embarrassed, I think, and took, okay. took my daughter and her family away. So. Oh, okay. I see. So you drop out at 15, and then did you just start working? You So you didn't finish like your junior or senior year, it sounds yeah, like? Yeah, I didn't at that finish. Time. I didn't finish school. I just kept working. And then Were you still partying in. and stuff at that yes, time sir. too? And then I just jumped from a relationship to another relationship. and um, Again, trying to find a place to fit in, right? Just trying to find a, a place to fit in. How did you feel? Because obviously people f heard the news that you got this woman pregnant. and right. I mean, how did you handle that? Was that tough? Did people maybe treat you differently because of that? or No. Well, at that age, um, at that age, I thought I was cool. I thought I was bigger than any boy in the in the school. You know, mm -hmm. I I'm having a kid at a young age, so it kind of made. At that age, I thought, oh yeah, I'm I'm a man. You know, so yeah. So my ego and everything just blew up after that, and I thought I was bigger and better and better than I was actually the cool kid because everybody would be like, oh man, you're about to be a dad at a young age, and yeah. So yeah. at that age, it was, you know, um. I thought everybody was trying to fit in with me at that time. So, right. did your parents at that time also know that you were doing drugs and stuff and drinking? And yes, did they know that. My my parents knew I was, and I got beat plenty of times from my parents. You know, yeah. Um, that tongue and love—that's what they call the Polynesian love. It's it's not, it's more with the bell. Really. So, I've got beat plenty of times. Um, did you take it as that back then, like? That this was love, um, I mean, I took I took it as a, as as a lesson that they're trying to teach me, right. but I couldn't really take it as love because I was I was getting beat, you know. So. Well, but yeah, you're getting beat, but then you continue doing drugs, right? So right. you weren't getting the lesson, <laughs> right? I wasn't really getting the lesson. Were you nervous thinking? You, I mean, I would imagine you're trying to hide it from them because you probably didn't want to get right get that love. <laughs> right that tongue and love you're talking about right yeah so i tried to, i tried to hide it but um questions are going to be asked especially on her side too like mm -hmm. your belly's getting bigger and what's yeah. going on right and you're not married and so it arose to a point where i had i had to say it out in front of my parents mm -hmm. and her parents yeah so because it was they were part of the church so yeah. one sunday uh, we all met up downstairs, and for a 15-year-old boy, actually saying, "Hey, um, telling my my parents and her parents that she's about to have my our yeah. kid was rough." Boy, that's yeah, that's yeah. tough. That's tough at any age, but let alone <laughs> right. I mean, as a young kid, you know, so much tougher. Um, well, so 
let's talk, let's jump ahead. You know, you obviously continue doing drugs and this and that. Mm-hmm. Where did that lead to after, after you had this child? Talk about that. Um, it led to me to another relationship and had more kids, but still under the influence doing drugs on the side. So mm-hmm. it just led to a relationship. I had a, so basically the history is I have four, they call it baby mamas, but it's four uh, women that I had pregnant and that carried my kid. Okay. So, and majority of all of them was due to the fact because uh, me getting high and every single time um, a bad relationship happens, I, I always blame the women, you know, but in honest reality, it was never them. Mm. Um, it was always me, but at the end of the day, I was always trying to say, oh yeah, she was the bad person, you know, trying to save my image or whatever. Yeah. And trying to make yourself feel better. Yes. It's someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault. Instead of taking accountability. Yes, sir. And it sounds like now you, you, you know, you, you take full accountability. Yes, sir. For everything. (laughs) And I, and I point that out because that is such a powerful thing for anyone, especially in addiction that typically in the beginning we we are pointing fingers it's well you know it's this person's fault or it's god's fault or right. it's my boss's fault or it's my parents fault where and when we do that we when we play that victim role it keeps us in that unhealthy behavior yes sir right until we start saying okay no i've got to be accountable this is this is all me kind of thing so I, i'm glad you brought that up all right yeah. So it leads to, you know, as you, you know, so you're in, in and out of some relationships, you're having some kids, um, is, is things just getting worse and worse for you on the drug use? Yeah. So things just get worse. The more kids I'm getting is the, the worse it's getting. So I'm trying to, at that point, I'm, I had most of my kids. Um, so at that point I'm trying to provide, I'm trying to be the man. Mm-hmm. what the man role is right you know to provide for their family so i started digging myself into a bigger pit in a, in in that drug world where i was never home um i was always out getting high thinking that i'm gonna come home with a million dollars so you know hoping hoping that i'm gonna make it somewhere in that drug life but Right. It was more so an excuse for me. I feel like it was more so an excuse for me to keep going out there and getting high. Yeah. And um not thinking about what I'm doing and you know not trying to take responsibility, but the mind the mind was there for me. Yeah. You know, cuz I would always leave my kids with my parents and I'm saying, "Oh yeah, uh I'm going to go and try to get some money this and that and yeah, I was yeah. always, I was always just lying. How, how old were you at this point? Um, when it started getting really, really bad, I think it was twenty two. Okay. Twenty two, twenty three. Twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. So you've been through a lot already. As it's still a young kid, right? Young, young adult, and uh, so, you know, you 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 mentioned, you know, we mentioned it early on in the bio that you were you're an ex convict. Yes, you had to serve some time in prison. Right. Let's talk about what led up to that and what happened there. Um, so in 2014, I was so lost in this addiction of mine. Uh, um, one day I woke up and I had no drugs, uh, nothing to help me get money because it was ticking when I woke up. Right. Uh, 
family member had took it away from me when oh, I woke really? up. Yeah, because they were they took it away because they cared. You yeah. know, they cared about what I was doing. Um, you were probably upset at the time. And I was upset. Yeah. So basically, me being an addict, what I want to do is just get mad. And, you know, I, I didn't see what they were trying to do to see the help. Right. All I see is a, a slap in the face, you know, but I didn't see the helping hand that they were trying to give me, um, which kind of led me to leave the home. And and uh, I took off and I made a poor decision. Um, I had ended up going into a place and robbing a place. And, and then, yeah, that day, that day, I can never um, go back to that day and make it all up to the people that I could have harmed or dramatized. Um, mm -hmm. I do regret that day, but then at the same time, that day saved the rest of my life. Um, me going through that, uh, like I feel so bad, the people that was there right, that had to go through it, you know, they didn't deserve to go through something like that. Mm-hmm. But if they, ah, hopefully they are listening, and hopefully they do hear this. But yeah, um, I pray every day that that they are healed. Yeah. I know they didn't deserve that. Yeah. Um, but I try to move forward from it, and it's yeah. kind of hard, but because I would like to reach out to them, you yeah. know, and I just don't know how to. Well, um, maybe, you know, maybe one of the blessings will they will hear this today. Right. And they'll hear your story and where you're at. And I can see your emotion on this. And, so did you end up getting arrested from this? Yes. Yeah, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah, so I got arrested and um uh it was it was all over the news. Uh that's something not to brag about because my kids ended up seeing that. Oh. And um so at that time I already had exes of kids, you know, but I had the kids at my parents' house. Right. So their family seen the news and she came down from California and took the kids and Mm. So that's where that journey of trying to get better began is when I walked into them walls. Um, but at first it was still kind of cloudy. You know, my, my thought process was still kind of cloudy. I'm walking into a place where I'm thinking that uh, everybody's there to get you or people are going to be there to hurt you. And uh, so I go in with the mentality like, oh, I got to be the bad person. I got to yeah. be the tough guy. And, and we're talking about when you're entering into yes, prison. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you got sentenced to a two-year sentence, is that right? Or? Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, at, first, make sure. at first it was uh, me, the process of fighting the case. Oh, okay. So when I went in there, I had to fight the case. Um, gotcha. They ended up transferring my case to a federal uh to to the federal system mm -hmm. and then i had i had my rights violated in the the federal system so they had to drop it dismiss it without prejudice and uh this has been going on for a year and i came back to the state and kept fighting it i kept fighting it there and then the day came where for some reason i felt 
that I need to start owning up to my response to owning up to the things that I did. Yeah. And um, because the whole time I was fighting it, I was denying it. I was denying, no, that wasn't me. I was trying to find loopholes in my discovery. And Again, also, blaming other people. Right, trying to blame things. other people and other yeah. things. So I was I was not trying to go down for this. So I kept fighting it and fighting it with a lie. So basically that was my shield. I was shielding myself with a lie that I had created for myself. Wow. Saying I was not I was in the neighborhood because of this type of thing, and I kept that. And almost to, almost to me believing that it was true, but... Yeah sure um but then uh the day came and uh my attorney had came with me with a plea uh a plea offer and um my significant other now jamie she she was out there in the courtroom and i just told her to go tell her that i'm gonna take the deal for some reason uh something had answered me and told me it's time to tell the truth Really? So when I went up there, I took the plea deal, but then the judge asked me, um, are you pleading guilty to these charges, which they uh, charged me with the aggravated robbery? Um, the moment I said I, 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 the moment I said yes was the moment I felt free than anything else. Wow. So it was, as soon as I told him that I am guilty, I felt so much weight just fall off my my shoulders mm -hmm. and um that's when i kind of uh that's when i told myself i'm not gonna lie no more wow. because every single time i lied i felt like i was caring too much Man. and it was just so much work right it's, it's exhausting right so after that um she had sentenced me to prison uh it's so they sentenced me to one one to 15 and then Draper, they have a board system that uh, makes you they they actually give you how long you're gonna do. Mm. So when um, traveling to Draper, I kept praying and kept praying and uh, just trying to look for some answers for my life. And uh, the crazy thing was is when when you when you go to Draper, you go through this system called RNO, where you're locked down for 36, 24 hours a day, mm. and you're locked in a cell by yourself or with one other person. But right, um, that's where I did a lot of soul searching, and I found in my spiritual journey, I found the Book of Mormon, mm. and um, all my other families they are LDS except for my parents. Okay. So, so you kind of knew a little bit about the, yes, religious. I knew, I knew a little bit about yeah. it. Yeah. My, my aunt, uh, my dad's aunts and everybody, they would tell me to go to the church and this and that, you know, and I would always go against the grain. So I would never listen. And, you know, and, but when I went inside the cell, there was a book of Mormon in there. I have 23 hours, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, so what I do, I pick it up, and um, first it just said, say a prayer and ask. Just in the introduction of the Book of Mormon, I don't know if anybody has read it, but in the, in the, in the beginning it says, um, if you want to know if this is true, uh, kneel and ask your Heavenly Father. So I already mentioned that I dropped out of school. Yeah. 
I knelt down and I and I prayed and I asked if it was true. Every single book that I used to read before while I was locked up, I couldn't read it all due to the fact my mind wouldn't stay there. Yeah. Every single time I start reading, my mind ponders and I don't even know what book I read, you know? Yeah. But as soon as I started reading the book, it was almost like seeing it out of a TV. That's how clear it was in my mind. Um, so I started reading that and I've never had a book do this to me where I'm so zoned in and I could see every, everything that's happening. I, it's very vivid in my mind. So every day I wouldn't even want to go out, leave my cell. I'm already stuck in my cell for 20, 23 hours. Yeah, and when that time. hour comes out, I'm like, no, I just would rather stay here and just keep reading. Keep reading, really. Um, but I was in R&O for maybe 60 days, and then they let me back out to a general population. Right. Um, but that's where the spiritual journey began. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't take it back for anything else. So, so was this at the beginning of your stay there when the you had that experience? Yes, sir. And then you ended up you were there. For, is is it two years that yes, you were sir. in there for? So, did you were you just like, I mean, obviously you had this kind of spiritual awakening, if we can call it that. Right. Were Were you just like here? You are in prison, but you're probably going. This is the greatest thing I've ever mm-hmm. felt in my life. Right. Right. Talk about that for a minute. So you ended up filling this for the next couple of years, I would imagine. Right. So um, <laughs> while I was while I was in there, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with myself in a cell. I learned. So this is what helped me, and it, and is actually still helping me uh, with my recovery. Is uh, I started to love myself. Mm. I started to be true to myself. And uh, me being in there actually helped me shed all this lies that I've that I built when I was a kid. Right. You know, like oh, I'm a bad person, or um, I'm this type of guy. No, being in there actually helped me because there is some tough guy sceneries in there. Oh, sure. And um, when I was encountered by those type of things, it. Um, you know, I it, it's easy for me to be part of that, yeah. or I could just step away. And making those small decisions was actually sh- helping me shed, shed away all them other things. So yeah, because normally you'd probably protect normally, yourself and confront, right. but you 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 did the bigger thing and walked away. Right, walking away and learning that uh, whatever my friends had to do with their friends, you know, I don't need to be a part of it. Yeah. So it actually helped me not to be influenced by anybody else. How did the inmates treat you by doing that? Like you, here you are walking away. I mean, did you, you know, because that could be a form of weak, uh, a sign of right. weakness, right? But I mean, we all know honestly that that's str- that's true strength. That is true. But in strength. in a prison setting, I mean, how did the inmates handle you know seeing you walk away from this you know tough situation? So the um, <laughs> most of the prisoners, some of them uh they're still stuck to a some kind of code or you know but majority of them actually they they could see if you're pure and true they would respect someone that's really true to themselves Uh, really anything else okay so 
that's when I started to, to you know, when I, I looked up to my family members and mm-hmm. my family members has been doing that for a very long time. Yeah. And um, one of my family members just came back home after doing 23 years in prison. And he was basically my role model as growing up. Okay. Him, him and as all his other, but these are my dad's little brothers. So they were my role models because I wanted to be like them, the bad person, the bad person. And uh, one day I had wrote a letter when I was in there. I had wrote a letter to him and I had told him, hey, I, f- I found out the hard way that I've been lying to myself and lying to you guys of how I am, you know. And yeah. I just want to let you know that this is not my life, you know. And um, the response I get back from that is, um, he said, "Whatever you, whatever you are in life, just do it, a hundred percent." Yeah, you know. And that was just to let everybody know that who I am, you know. Yeah. And so, that was pretty refreshing to hear. Oh, and I bet. So. <sighs> helping myself out with the recovery i started doing things as in uh working out before i used to weigh 300 pounds 300 plus pounds but really? working out yes sir yeah because i i'm shocked when you say that because i mean if you know if people saw you right now i mean you look i mean you're in great shape you look amazing right, thank you so <laughs> i can't imagine i can't picture you 300 <laughs> all right so i started uh I started investing in myself. I started loving myself. And, yeah. And uh, what, what? how I did that to invest in myself, I started working out first. Yeah. Then I started reading more books, at the same time reading um, the Book of Mormon, but reading books to to help me, like in drug addiction books. Um, I started taking all these other classes, uh, relationship classes. So everything I started doing while I was in there was just helping me. Yeah. Um, I told myself I'm not going to waste my time here. I, I am going to pay my due to society. Yeah. I will pay that debt because they owe it so much. And, um, I will walk out here a better man. Yeah. So, uh, I had a board hearing and, uh, usually at the board hearings from, what I know and from what I heard from everybody else, everybody asked to go home. But the board members had asked me, um, do you want to go home? And uh, I just told the board, the board members, I said, that's up to you guys to decide. If you guys want to give me more time, I'm okay with it. And if you guys were to let me out tomorrow, I'm okay with it. Due Uh to the fact these these years that I had put in was not going to waste, you know? Um, yeah, because you're thriving right now. Yes, sir. Right, like you're thriving in this moment. Right. You're like, hey, if you want me to stay? I'm, re- I'm, I'm perfect where I'm at. Right. Wow, that's amazing. They're probably blown away by that response. Yeah, and uh, my parents were there, and uh-huh. uh, it's when that's the day I actually seen the the love of my father is when he cried. He cried when I told the board members if they want to let me out, that is totally up to them. But I'm okay. 
my addiction, my mother was even afraid of me coming home. Yeah. But that day, she knew I had, she knew something was different with me. Yeah. Because imagine. I'm I'm no longer begging for what I want. Wow. You were I, you were surrendering. Yeah. Right? And uh yeah, I surrendered because I took AA classes in there and yeah. uh I had a therapist in there and Yeah. But um I would always tell my therapist I love the AAs more than anything else. Uh therapist to me I I believe couldn't help me out because right. I I would rather learn from someone that's walked the shoes. Yeah. Not from anybody that had read it through a book. Right. You know, um Yeah. Yeah, there's a book that could tell you what the what it does to you and everything, but there's something deep down in, in the soul that it really breaks. Yeah. Which I don't think a book could ever a book could ever make that person feel right so um so being in there uh i enjoyed listening to other people's uh stories yeah, and yeah. um they're really they they really are motivating was that like once a week or was it every day those uh, meetings you could go to there or was it yeah so there was once a week once a once week, a gotcha. week okay but there was different there was a lds uh 12 yeah, step different was, versions of yeah. it yeah okay yeah, but it was so being, did you tell your parent i mean when they came to that board meeting to you know to see if they're you know they're gonna let you out or make you stay longer had your parents known at this point that you were having kind of like this spiritual breakthrough yeah. So they had known. I mean, you probably wrote them letters and stuff, and told them what was going on. Is that? Well, or? I haven't talked to. I <laughs> when the whole time in there, I had never tried to talk to my family. Oh, uh, um, okay. But uh, when I call, when I call Jamie, um, she she would try to be at my parents' house when I called, or oh, okay. When we had a visit, we had a visit online, just FaceTiming. And she would be at my parents' house. That's the only time I would talk to my parents. But they never knew what was really going on with me. Okay. Um, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to give them false. I didn't want them to, you know, like tell them what I'm doing. And then they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll he's see. Gonna, you he's going to let us down again. Yeah, he's going to let us down. So yeah. I didn't want that feeling or want okay. them to feel that way. Yeah. So, um, so that day, I think they really did. My parents... Like I said, it's it's kind of it's rare to see my father cry, you know. Yeah. He cries at funerals for loved ones, and yeah. but then for me, it was kind of rare. And yeah, to, and to see that was and how healing that was for you too to right. see your dad going, man, he really does. Right. It was almost like you've been waiting for that your whole life. Right, right. Like right. I finally got this confirmation. Yeah, he really does love me. Right, you know. That's what I'm feeling over here as you're yeah. saying this. It's so powerful. All right. So it was it was actually pretty cool and that's So did they let you out or did they make you stay longer? Um <laughs> they ended up letting me out. Okay. Um, <laughs> so they ended up letting me out and Well again they were probably surprised that you, you know cuz like you said most people were like, "Yeah, get me out of yeah. here." Most people and were you were just like, home. "I'll do whatever you guys want." Right. That's you surrendering. Right. That's and I I want to bring this point up because you know those who are struggling with whether it's an addiction or any bad habit, when we finally surrender, 
that's when the healing starts, truly. Right. Like when we find, okay, enough's enough. I'm what the way I'm doing it, it isn't working. Right. And I'm done blaming other people. I've got to now take accountability right. and I'm gonna surrender to this process. Right. That's what I'm hearing from you, but that's really powerful. <laughs> yeah, surrendering I yeah. think to me is the key. Yeah. And um just loving yourself, you know, yeah. like I wake up every morning and look, there's still this little part that wants to be influenced, but then I got to shut it down. Right. You know, like you catch it. Yes. I catch it. Right. And I say, wait a minute, I can't fall back to habits like that or anything. Yeah. So, um, that's the, the biggest one for me is that I found love within myself. Like I love who I am now, Yeah. you know? And, uh, I can't believe I tried to be someone else for that long, you know what I mean? And yeah. I hid this person away from everybody, you know? And people, yeah, my fam, my family say, oh, yeah, you're awesome now, you know? And yeah. I just... Yeah. Well, you were awesome back then, too. Just the it was being buried by the drugs and the alcohol right. and the bad behavior. But even your parents knew, scraped that all away. They knew who you really were. Right. This isn't you. Right. You know, so now now your true authentic self is now this and, and people are starting to witness it again. They're like, Man, it's it's like this reunion with an old friend. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and That's it's awesome. Uh, so it's the best thing for me right now and uh you know, I don't have man, I don't have nothing like I don't have the fancy car, the fancy house or the dream life that I see on right. social media and everything, but what I do have is a second chance. Yeah. You know, and that right there is way, way more than the house, than the car. Yeah. Than anything else material wise, you know, like my kids now get to see their father of, of their real father. Not right. the not the big bad person or that the lie father, you know, but they could actually really see me now yeah and i'm i never before i used to discipline my kids the same way as my as your dad as my dad would. yeah and um maybe even worse sometimes you know but um going through this and coming out from it uh taught me so much different yeah um which like i said my, my i think that's what my parents knew so it's not their fault. Yeah. You know, because so, you learned something different. Yes. And now you learned something different. So because of that awareness and that knowledge, you're now raising them a little differently. Right. Because of that. Yeah. So now me being who I am and get to become a good father figure to my kids. Yeah. Is the million dollars for me. Yeah. You jackpot. Know? Right. Right. Yeah. That is the jackpot. Wow. So that's amazing, man. Amazing. Um, so how how long have you been out of prison now? I've been out for two two years. Two years now? Yes. Okay. Two years in December. Congratulations, man. Thank you. And you've been clean and sober for three and a half, correct? I say three and a half because okay. it, it's much more longer. But I say three and a half due to the fact that I was getting close to coming home. The real test is when I came home. Yeah. Okay, I follow you. You know, the, the relapse, the... Mm -hmm. those are the real tests yeah so sure to be confronted with things like that and to turn away from it yeah that's where the test begins if you're not confronted with those things in there 
mm-hmm. then you're just being forced to become yeah sober wow but I gotcha. um, that's a good home, way to look at it I, right yeah because you're almost forced to do this you're almost forced to be now am sober. i really gonna do it right now that i'm out love that so that's powerful the only reason why i say three and a half is because <laughs> i made that decision in there yeah i made the decision in there to yeah you know that very cool but that's coming home i had practiced it a lot um yeah i don't keep the same friends um but i don't look down at it you're right because i know what they are going through and yeah. all i could do is just send my love to them and yeah. uh, that's I, awesome yeah so cool so well, if there's someone listening to this right now who might be struggling, maybe a young kid who, you know, maybe doesn't feel loved or they don't love themselves, what what advice could you give them? Um, my advice to give them is to show the world who you really are. Because you were made perfect. When you were entered into this world, you were created by an image of a higher power, and he made you perfect. The flaws that you carry are perfect. So my biggest advice is just show who you really are. And to love yourself. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, you have to, you got to love yourself in order to show your love to other people. So, wow. Beautifully said, man. Love that advice. Um, Are, if, is there a way someone could reach out to you? I mean, even if it's through social, are you on social media at all? Yeah, I'm on social media. Not active, but I can answer (laughs) if people message me or anything. Yeah. So what's the best way? Is it Facebook or Instagram? Facebook or or Instagram. My Facebook account is uh, Malachi Matangi. Will you spell that for us? Uh, M-A-L-A-K-A-I. Last name M-A-T-A-N-G-I. And then my Instagram is uh, TribalFit801. Okay. So wonderful. But if anybody messaged me, I'm always yeah. willing to help. Awesome. I love that, man. Well, um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day. And I know you're busy, and I know you rushed down here today. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, thank you. Know, you know, uh, like I said, Bailey has talked such great things about you, and says you got to get him on. <laughs> and now I know why, dude. I am really, really inspired by your story. Um, you're, I mean, it's tough because people are going to hear your voice, but I'm sitting here in person with you and I, the, the, this, I feel I, the, the word that comes to mind when I'm sitting here with you is safe. I feel safe. I feel secure around you. Thank you. And I hope you know that. And I hope that if those people that were traumatized because of what it, because of the act you did previous, if they're listening to this. Um, they will be touched and they will know that your heart has changed. And I think them listening to this will help, you know, if they are still struggling to change their hearts around this as well. So we can can both pray for that, okay? Yeah. Does that sound good? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One last thing, if you can do me a favor, will will you read that quote uh, out loud? 
the most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there is nothing wrong with you. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's what you've been telling this whole time. And it took you a while to discover that. Right. But here you are. Like you said, we're perfect. At the end of the day, we have our flaws, but they're part of the perfection, right? Right. right. <laughs> you know. But I, I'm, I'm grateful that we have you in our, in our world, um, and I'm grateful that you're in a position now that you're going to be helping and giving back, and, and I'm grateful you, you had that spiritual breakthrough in prison. And really, prison isn't a very scary place. Right. We, it's, it's, it's sometimes portrayed that way. Right. And I was telling you earlier, I, I got to speak there over a year ago. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And right. I never felt more safe. But I feel I feel your goodness, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. Another amazing story from another amazing person, Malachi Matangi. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for, uh, again, supporting this and believing in me. Go make today amazing because you're amazing. I don't say this enough uh, when I close out these things, but just know that there's nothing wrong with you. Life's amazing. I can't believe how great God is to all of us, our higher power, whatever you want to call it, whatever suits you. But I'm telling you, life's great. Thank you so much. And again, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.